0: All right, how are we doing so far, everybody? We are now going to hear uh, structured logging from Evan Phoenix. Evan Phoenix is the CEO and developer at Vectra, a startup uh, startup building infrastructure tools and services. In addition, he's director at Ruby Central and maintains a number of Ruby projects, including Puma. He resides in Los Angeles with his wife Abby and two daughters. Uh, Thanks for sharing with us, Evan. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna duck off of the audio and video and let you run.
1: Sounds good. Um, Do let's do a quick test. Everybody, uh, everybody, hear me? Okay. Uh, You know, we gotta test that out here. Make sure the internet works. Okay. Um, Great. Uh, Also. For some reason, it won't switch to the camera, so you guys get to look at my nice beard for uh, the side of my face for a lot of this. So I'll face into the camera when need be. Um, so uh, yeah, thanks so much, Charles, for setting this up. Um, I think that uh, a couple of quick notes. Um, I should have plenty of time for for questions and stuff like that. And since we're sort of in a unique format. Um, I would say go ahead and just type in the questions as they come along w- within the context of those slides. And as I kind of finish up a, a section, there's kind of like logical sections, I'll go and I'll kind of read through the questions and we'll answer them right there. Um, that'll, that way it'll be a little more interactive and I think it'll be uh, potentially uh, a more fun experience. So uh, with that, let's get started. Um, so uh, today, you know, I've Uh, Charles asked me to to speak and I I thought for a while about you know what I wanted to talk about um, and I could talk about a number of different things and um, the thing I hit upon was actually as as this always happens is the thing that I am actually doing uh, you know in my day-to-day work uh, that has a lot of impact in in Ruby as well as other languages that I thought would be really interesting to talk about which is structured logging Um, you know logs are sort of this uh, kind of crufty idea um, they're not fun usually they're uh, usually kind of a kind of a, a just a, a, a nuisance um, I, I, thought, I, always thought, I I looked up log one day just to, to remind myself why do we call them logs and it's actually because of the log because of an actual piece of wood um, they used to keep in to measure the uh, how long the uh, uh, how quick or how fast a boat was going. They would throw a stick with a rope over and then they would keep that in the log book because it was about the log. Um, I always thought that was uh, super interesting Um, because we continue this calling it a log um, and you know sometimes I wish it was more fun I wish it were actually log that we could uh, be be talking about because you know everyone loves log. Um, It's fun for girls and boys Um, But most of the time, our interaction with logs is this. It's a wall of text um, that, honestly, no one really has much of a good relationship with. Um, um, I put it in there twice. (laughs) Um, The feelings about logs are usually, like, boring, you know. You log all this stuff, and you never really use it. It's it's annoying. It just takes up space, and you you don't use them, and they're usually opaque, uh, like those walls of text, they're just, you know, random snippets from a programmer's brain. Um, there's a classic log, uh, which is this one from the Linux kernel, which uh, is emitted in uh, a in your uh, system logs when your printer is having some random malfunctions, indicates that uh, your printer is on fire. It's a great example of a log that's just... Someone thought it was fun, it was interesting, and they just kind of put it in there. This particular log actually has a whole Wikipedia page attached to it if you want to go look it up. Um, but they're that kind of thing, it's this, they're usually this just sort of heat noise off the top of a programmer's brain about what exactly is going on in this random scenario. Um, and it, it feels a lot like, it feels a lot like let's just move the logs around. You know, like uh, I generated them and now I got to rotate them and delete them and you don't really use them. Um and what you really want to be doing is is making a lot better use of your log data uh, because it has a lot of invaluable things that you could be getting out of it and most of the time if you're just dumping in like I said random snippets of text you're probably not going to get a lot out of it. Um, you're going to go back and look at them only under duress um, So you know structured logs is really what we what really want to be, moving towards and we'll kind of get into um, what that is. Um, I think it behooves us to ask an initial question which is why log it all. Um, you know as we were working on and I'll get into a little bit of this later we've asked a lot of questions about like um, why not just why not just do this? Why not just say logs? I don't need logs. Let's just dump. Them. Let's just send them all to dev null. Uh, They're just a waste of space. They just they uh, they caused me to wake up in the middle of the night because the server filled up. Uh, you know the it log partition with logs again. And what am I going to do, right? So let's just let's get rid of them. Well, you know, usually there's about five different cases that you really want to keep your logs around for. Um let's look at those for a second. Uh, the first one is exceptions. Um, it's a classic logging case. Um, you know, obviously you really want to know when things go really wrong is typically how you, how you view these. And you know, for a lot of teams, this is how they drive what they should be fixing forward. Uh, it's just, what are my exception reports today? Let me go in and look at my email in the morning and, okay, I've got a lot of exceptions about this one weird bug. Let me go in and try and fix those. Um, and, and clearly that's a good use for logs. Um, Edge cases are another one, um, you know, putting logs on code that you're not sure if anyone uses any, this anymore. Um, in other cases, like uh, this shouldn't happen, but I'll, I'll log it if it does. Uh, by the way, if you do that, you get a gold star uh, because it's super common in code to just say, just have a comment in the code that says, I should never get here. And uh, if you're actually logging those cases, so you can go back and figure out like if the if your assumption there is actually true, um, that is, you're, you're, you're already ahead of a lot of people. Um, and the last one is like sort of tight boundary checking, you know, like uh, somebody, I, I needed a this and somebody passed me a that over HTTP um, and just logging those kind of edge cases that under your normal operations are, you're not gonna see, and it also doesn't mean that like everything has gone wrong but it's also good to know that like you know maybe you have a client that's misbehaving whatever it might be that it's not a common scenario but it's also not like the end of the world like an exception like i couldn't open this file or something like that A third one is monitoring um you know you want to be able to track how your app is doing um at a sort of a granular level like you know i had to reconnect to the database Having those logs around, even just saying that you had to reconnect to the database, can be super useful when you know in a week. Yeah, you know, say your database has problems, and you want to say, "How? I didn't even know that my app was reconnecting. How often have we been reconnecting?" You want to go back and look at your logs, look at that. A query query um, statistics. You know, this query finished in this many milliseconds, that kind of thing, and and or memcache hits is another good example of, of that kind of thing that you want to log. Obviously, you don't want to get too Sometimes you don't want to get too crazy with logging that stuff. Uh, you don't want to obviously make it a bigger problem logging those things than they would have uh, helped you solve in the first place, but they can be really useful um, to be able to log and to go back. And uh, We can get into, if people want to talk about that, uh, some techniques to sort of do inside the app be able to do roll-ups. So if you really want to log like every memcache miss, you probably don't want to have an lo- entry for every single one. You want to be able to sort of um, every five minute, every you know, 60 seconds, emit you know, a log entry. How many misses have been in the last 60 seconds? That kind of thing. Um, another one is analytics. So th- you're kind of getting into when you do analytics, you get more into the the business portion of your actual app. So you want to say like, okay, this user. Th- user viewed this page you know uh, they just logged in the last time they logged in was a year ago or uh, you know I could see by their cookie that they spent 30 minutes on the site before they bought anything those kinds of, of entries are super useful because you can go back and mine them for information later on so you can say like okay well what do I really want to you know what are all the interesting things about my users um, how are people using the site um, those are all good good things that you you want to be able to answer Um, and if you emit them into a log instead of say putting them in like an activity SQL table um, you can easily manage them a lot better. You can roll them off. You can expire them. You know what people did on your site two redesigns ago is probably not going to be useful data and if you put that in a log file and you put that within your logging infrastructure it could easily sort of roll off the end which is great. And the last one is audits. Um, and again, these are sort of related to analytics, but typically they represent more things that are important activities, like transactional activities that are gonna happen on your site. Like I said, a user is created, a user bought the items, they added a credit card. Those are all, th- those logs are the kind of logs that when you have issues from users are invaluable. You wanna go back and say, okay, they said that they had a problem on this page. Let me go back and see what they were doing on the site in order to get to that stage. Um, and it having uh, being able to rewalk someone's steps of so a user's steps to be able to figure that out, that can be that can be the difference between fixing the bug in five minutes and basically letting it languish for six months. Now, you know we've talked a lot of uh, a lot about just the idea of a log, just that there is there is data, and and typically, um, sadly, um, they're usually just blobs of text. Like I said, they're just sort of heat noise. Uh, uh, off the top of the programmer's head they don't necessarily represent anything consistent in fact uh, even a single programmer working within a small code base the logs that are emitted will be drastically different between even sections that were written you know just a few days apart and the reason is that there's when there's no structure there it just makes sense for whatever flow that programmer was in when they wrote that log message so there might be some vague formatting you don't really know what kind of data is in there um it's very difficult to to be able to make use of those kinds of logs typically even when people want to understand the logs um, you have, you know, one a human. Hopefully, someone a, you a human wrote this log message. Hopefully, another human will understand it. Although that in itself is a very dicey proposition. A lot of times, um, the log message that you decided to emit at 3 a.m. when you go and see it pop up in the log file a week later may make absolutely no sense to you anymore. Um, so maybe you want to try use something like a regular like regular expressions to try and pull data out of the entries, um, which is can be okay, Um, you can get data out of them, but uh, you're not guaranteed that you're getting the right data. Uh, You have to spend a whole bunch of time writing those regular expressions. Um, And for this reason, typically people don't even have these kinds of expressions for their own app data. They they maybe will have something like, oh, let me go parse nginx's log files. Because those things don't change, it's easy for me to write the regular expression one time. If I've I've got an evolving code base where I'm getting new log entries all the time, you're going to constantly be just working on random regular expressions that you're writing. Um, so the third one you do a lot of times is you don't understand the logs. You just emit them and you kind of hope that you'll ever have to use them. Um, that's actually a, a sad but not uncommon uh, strategy. So structured logs, which is why we're all here this morning. Uh, I also should say, I forgot to say this at the beginning, um, as one, like the first speaker, I feel like I should have set the tone by being on the beach
0: or something like that instead of in my home office. When you think about structured logs, I
1: think that it's important to make a... a, a, a the first statement you need to make is that the logs are data. They're data that you should be using, that you could be using, um, and that if you're just emitting blobs of text, you're basically just wasting everyone's time. Um, And if you are not using those logs, then you, like I said, it's just yeah. Um, I found this interesting. Uh, ThoughtWorks now says that structured blogging is in the adopt phase. um, And they had a nice uh, very uh, high-level definition for structured logging is a consistent predetermined message format containing semantic information um, I think that uh, the the push for ThoughtWorks to say that it's an adopt phase is also a very timely thing and um, if you were here listening to the uh, the podcast previous uh, this fits right in with that Um as we see the proliferation of services and service-oriented architectures and microservices and whatever it might be, uh, the more you see that, the more pressure you will be putting on your logging service. Because those those operations that used to be, uh, oh, let me just go send an email, let me just go do this other thing. Now another service is doing that, you need to track the boundaries between those two services. Did the other service get the request to send the email? Um, did this thing go in the queue, whatever it might be? Those are all things that now you need to be logging. You need to be tracking those operations, you need to find be able to find out. Uh, when it goes wrong, when someone says, hey, I didn't get my email about my new order, you need to be able to go back and say, well, did, did the email system even get that order, get that email to be sent? Um, you need to be able to answer that question and not just assume that that was the case you need to be able to know oh, okay you know here it is I can see that it's there Um, and so the more services you have the more boundaries you have the more need that you're going to have to be able to log all those boundaries and be able to track the flow of an operation across services as you move into services that are polyglot the need is even greater because now not only do you have disparate services, disparate uh, services running in different places doing different operations but now they also have different languages and so you may be able to you kind of have to pass data that was formulated in language A to to, uh, another service in language B and if they're both emitting logs about what actually occurred within that operation I sent this and I received this if one uses a a native closure logging blob syntax and the Ruby one uses just a text for Ruby, it's very difficult to correlate those things. Um, And so you want to try and force uh, as many of those services to be doing the logging in the same format as you can and, and structured logging, adopting structured logging is the easiest way to do that. It's not go out and write a whole bunch of regular expressions to store them in a get repo. So when you think about structured logging and you know that okay it's going to be some format I want to be I want to have all my logs be in, in, in a particular format you largely see two formats uh, present out there in the wild. One is a sim- really simple key value sent. Format incredibly easy to generate, um, easy for a human to read, relatively easy for a machine to read. The problem with this format, and and I, I see it used plenty of places, uh, is that you get into uh, lots of sort of like a um, like SQL quoting problems, right? So yes, sure, account there is Evan, but let's say someone wants to say the account is. Uh, an email address or a name, a full name, and there's a space in there. Again, we kind of get into where the key, simple key value breaks down because you know you add quoting and you add separators and all that kind of thing. and you you get away from the simple aspect of that very quickly. and And for that reason, people usually use this in very small places where it just makes sense like, oh, I've got this tiny little thing I need to admit. And but the minute that they have to add anything more, I almost always recommend move just go straight to JSON start to commit your logs in json uh, it solves all those problems that the simple key value one does quoting uh typing all all separators all that kind of stuff and i mean i think we all need to recognize that in 2015 it is effectively a if not the universal format um it, it, there are tools in every language to emit json to parse it to read it a human can read it um it's not the most human readable in the world but it is certainly uh possible to to look at it and to scan and to see what what was actually going on here um and it, you know if you really want to read it better it's r- r- outstandingly easy to go and write new write yourself some tools that will be able to read those logs in and emit them in a more human-readable format uh, whether it's a web tool or just something on the command line that you're running to, to reformat the JSON to make it easier to read. That itself is very easy. Again, this is not a new idea. Not I didn't make this up. Uh, this is uh, uh, something that people have been talking about for years and years and years and years and years, and years. There's A blog post from 2006 just scarily almost a decade ago now, that talk about using JSON for logs. Um, and we're seeing it start to get traction now in the last you know, probably three or four years, mostly because there's more services. People have recognized the need to have better logging and the tooling around being able to manage those logs has just gotten a lot better in the last you know, three or four years. Um, I prefer JSON and I think that most people should prefer doing it as JSON and you really want to pick up a boring format for this you don't you don't really want to go out and say like oh let's write our own format that makes it nicer or let's do this other thing and the reason is that you're talking about data that likely will sit sort of just stagnant for a long period of time and you're going to want to come back to it maybe. And read it and parse it and understand it and correlate it with other data and so the 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 simpler format that you the simpler you make the format the more likely are that you're going to be able to recover and use that data in the future Um, and so it it, because it's simple and it doesn't have all of the bells and whistles uh, it makes it a little more future-proof if you will Um, and you should this is a place to pick something boring don't go out and innovate now, if you find yourself in a situation where, like, JSON isn't going to fit my needs for whatever reason, I really do need a custom format, generally don't. Um, but if you've already gone down this road and you feel like, okay, this is this is something that I, I really need based off of whatever needs, you've got some logging that requires very specific types that you don't feel are uh, representable in JSON for whatever reason, um, layer them on top of another kind of format or another kind of tool. If you really need to, to have the logs being emitted in like say protocol buffers, um, that's a good a- answer. If it really feels like it needs to be super compact, um, you can use message pack, uh, which is sort of like a you know binary JSON. Although that one is even sort of, uh, you know hopefully compressing your logs. So the space savings is kind of a, a moot point there. Um, but generally stick to the simplest kind of format. Um, You're better off having um, some kind of JSON schema that you have to go through and parse out than trying to say like, oh I want to end this thing in protocol buffers. Again, really understand, have a good reason to do it. Um, But if it's a text format, just use JSON. So you kind of get this idea that now your logs are your logs are this data. So let's look at a couple of of sort of quick examples of, of what this would look like. So let's say you have some op- some operational data. We're now calling it. This is you know perhaps emitted by nginx. You know uh, this is a get and this was the path and the the here were the headers and and now you've got this thing that's easy to easy to look at. Um, easy to to go in and find out some information about I can easily write some and we'll get into this a little bit later. I can usually write and use tools to be able to extract all of the things for a particular request ID. Now I could have done that with grep, but it's much easier to do it with the tools that where it's already formatted. And that's the whole point that we're, we're trying to get to here. Then you also get things that can also sit alongside. I mean, these are complementary pieces of data. They can be emitted inside the exact same file because each entry is sort of self-contained. So you can say, okay, here's maybe some business, some analytics. You know, in this particular case, it's that, um, you know, uh, there was, you know, someone I signed up for some site for at plaidshirts.com and I used this TV code because I was watching in the middle of the night and I needed a plaid shirt, right? Now you've got all this great business analytics information that when you want to answer the question, oh, how many people use that TV code? You can easily go back and, and answer that question. Um, and now you've got a, a, an audit log also. This can form an audit log of who signed up when. Um, so, the, um, so we've we've you've decided I'm, I'm in. I'm all in on structured logging. I totally get it. I wanna emit all my logs in JSON. Uh, I wanna, I wanna feel the power of having all of this data unlocked, if you will. Um, so you gotta get in, You get into this next, next phase, which is, what exactly do I log? Though, um, and and this question is very important to consider. Um, the answers that you have amongst your team will govern a lot of how well you can use that data so there's generally three sort of pieces that you want to consider as you're working on answering this question the first one is the who every entry needs to answer who is this entry about and the typical way of doing that is just with a key called event and i did that on the previous ones as well and you want to have some kind of simple identifier, user add, request sent, whatever it might be. Some people prefer to actually have a short message here instead of a, just a sort of a underscored single identifier. If you do that, try and keep your messages really short. I really prefer doing identifiers. They're much easier to search for you as an organization you can build a dictionary of these identifiers so you can actually say here's all of our different kinds of events that are in our system and you don't even have to be that formal about your actual usage you can just come up with a a a semantics so in this particular case i've talked about you could easily just say i'm going to have a a noun verb format for all of my identifiers so user add user delete whatever it might be and now I can even go through and I can as I'm searching I can say what are all the user actions that occurred on this particular user and I can just say search search for user underscore inside the event and I can get all of those not just the one and that again huge for auditing being able to understand what someone's doing on your site and obviously you can derive new new identifiers that way very easily if you do that Um, obviously the dictionary becomes much smaller. You have to you generally need to document what your nouns are um, or what your verb yeah what your nouns are and then roughly what your verbs are. Um, The next thing you want to do is you've identified the who the next thing you want to do is the where Um, and this is sort of the context that this log message is emitted inside. Um, The idea is to try and scope that event to something that makes sense that you can actually search off of. Um, it is details that are not necessarily the, the the value about this log message. It is something that will give you search context to be able to look into it. So here's a good example of some where. So in this particular case, um, this is an event user add to cart. So I added some item to a, a, a cart somewhere. And in this particular case, I've used tags, and we'll get into that in a sec, uh, to indicate, you know, the host, the actual web server that's occurred on, and the user ID that it occurred on, right? They represent this. There's no. Com- there's not a lot of common ways people do use tags for this. Um, I prefer tags. Some people do at tags. Some people don't use this at all. I suggest you do use it. Um, it there's a lot of value in there because it's easy to say. You can go through and I can say, I want to know all of the events of user add to cart where tags that user ID is this particular user, right? Um, And that can be super, super easy. So the where is, you know, some other context examples that you might have is the server that occurred on, we included that, the user that performed the operation, and also maybe a component that admitted it. So maybe you're inside the, the subscription emailer. You might include that as some tag data. Again, you want to be able to go back through and say, show me all of the log entries from the subscription emailer. Um, does that make sense? I got a quick question here. Uh, Phil asks, why would you... Why would you have put user ID in the tags, but not item ID? Oh, that's a super good question. So let's go back to it real fast. Whoa, this scroll is super sensitive. Okay. Um, so the, the reason that I, and, and again, this is a, more of a philosophical thing. It's less of a very hard rule. It's something that you have to kind of just, as you kind of work with it, you kind of have to get a good, get a good feel for it. The reason in this particular case is because the operation was add to cart and so the values the actual things that are being added in this particular case were the item id and the quantity id so that's because i'm adding things to to a cart so i'm adding the cart adding things to whose whose cart this particular user id so that's why i opted to put the tag the user id into tags in that particular case right so so you can think of if you think of this operation being emitted, it's a uh, you're adding something to a cart how how many of what thing that's the actual the the what which we'll get into in a sec and then the, the 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 who and the where are you know or in this particular case the where is the user ID that you're actually was adding it to the cart for uh, again it's a it's a it's a subtle thing it's something that and, and obviously there's lots of teams that don't that don't use tags at all. They put everything inside the main body. They they just say it's all values. Um, I just this is sort of just a sort of a personal thing. Separating them out has some power as you kind of go forward in just trying to manage the data load. Don't forget that as you add as you kind of get into this uh, and and do more structured logging, you will get more and more and more and more and more and more of these things. So let's. I'll give you an example of where keeping them separate can be nice. Let's say I'm writing a social network. And uh, my event might be user add friend. Um, In that particular case, my tags user ID might be the person that is actually adding the friend. And then I have inside the body another user ID that represents the actual friend. Right. So in that particular case, the user ID is what we is the, the the data item. But there's two distinct ones. There's the the context that it's occurring in, and there's the one that's the actual value of being the friend. Right? Does that make sense, Phil? Somewhat. I mean I agree. It this is a very nuanced argument that I'm making here. And I think that the the main part is to not just I mean you can take it take it or leave it on the, on this particular point. I think that if you're already in on doing structured logging, I think that's the that's the, the meat of it, if you will. I would say, yeah, and we'll get into a little bit, like for example, if I loved business object ID updated. Uh, I would include as a tag since it's the ternary. I, I agree, and we'll get into a little bit later on with sort of what we call field dictionaries about how you actually want to be able to use those kinds of things. I don't disagree with you there. This becomes just sort of a how does it feel to the team, right? Um, obviously, like in the in the case of host uh, web one, um, I think we can both agree that that obviously is a is a piece of tag data. You're not going to include. You wouldn't include that in the in the the value, right? Okay. So again, it's a, it's it's. There's nuance here. There's nuance. It's technology, after all. Um, so get into the what, which uh, we've been talking about for a little bit here. Um, the what is sort of the meat of your log. It's all of those attributes. Now, as we kind of were getting into it, as we we're talking with Phil, uh, Phil's question, you. It's, it feels like it's just a free form, like it's just, uh, I, can, I can log a whole bunch of data, that's amazing. Just hold on, hold your horses. Remember that the whole point of this is that you're trying to enforce some kind of order onto your logs. And if you just go hog wild and just have it be completely free form, you will have data, uh, but it won't necessarily, it'll be better than blobs, but it won't necessarily fulfill what you need um, in terms of long-term usage, so doing a little bit of coordinating beforehand uh, will go a long ways as you're rolling out structured logging, or if you're already using it, just kind of cleaning it up. Let me give you sort of two quick examples of why this is the case. These are examples I've seen in the wild. Uh, app one is going to emit some structured logging that looks like this, and app two is going to emit something that looks like this. Now to the, those programmers that did this, this made total sense, of course. Uh, you know, app one, the context maybe is the login, and so uh, you know, I've got the email address and that's their username perhaps. And so it made sense for me to log the information uh, just as the email address. And app two is maybe just sent a user ID to go to go use, and so it's going to say, well, I want to log the user, I'm just going to go ahead and admit the, the, the ID. Right? And another, another case is app one maybe is seeing that, like, okay, I've got I got a request from this IP. Great. Let me log that so that we can use it later. And app two, again, a different programmer, uh, maybe on the same team, is going to say, oh, I've got another IP address from something else. I'm going to go ahead and admit it. And obviously, we see problems, two distinct problems in both of these examples. Um, and the way that you can kind of... I can actually separate them. Yeah. so this first one obviously the problem is that they've sort of overloaded it like what what is user what is a valid value for user and this particular case there's just not agreement upon how how I should label an IP address right and these are little things they're not they're not huge things they don't require a committee and a long discussion to answer but if you answer them up front you can you you just save yourself all of the grief down the road. So what I suggest is that you kind of establish a field dictionary. What are those keys going to mean? What are those keys actually are, are there? And I put together a quick one um, that I, I pulled from another project um, called the Common Event Emitter Project that has a, a, a whole bunch of common sort of keys and types and then uh, uh, descriptions about what they mean. And it's effectively the same as, as some kind of style guide. That you would go through and you would say, okay, you know, if whenever we have an IP address, call it IP. Whenever we have a user, uh, call it user email, whatever it might be. Um, the other thing you can do is just use some simple conventions, right? So you can use suffixes. Really easy. We're all in RubyLand. We're very used to this uh, from working inside Active Record. Use an underscore ID suffix on something that where it will always be that kind of uh uh, an integer that represents something you know a, a database ID right um, and try to keep the the field dictionary up to date as you care right so if you're going through and you're adding a whole bunch of things a whole bunch of keys concepts if you keep it up to date and you and you use it and you review it it doesn't require a lot of time but it will save everyone um, a whole bunch of grief uh, if you can kind of coalesce on uh, the same 90% of the keys that you're using. So, timestamps. There's not much to say here, other than just don't get fancy. Have a key named timestamp, keep it in ISO. I don't think that's the right ISO number, I think I've got a one. Uh, you know the right the JSON, yeah. But have that timestamp. Have it on every single message. Don't don't leave it off because you're like, oh, this happened right after the other one. They will get reordered. You will see them in isolation. You want them to be standalone. Include a timestamp on every single message. Quick note about timestamp generation. Run NTP on every machine. Use UTC everywhere, and. We'll get into what I mean by favoring emitting durations and intervals. On the NTP note, I, I went into a machine that I just booted on AWS uh, just four days ago, and it has already drifted 5.3 seconds. Because uh, I, I forgot to set up NTP on it. Right? So this is some people think on cloud servers that the actual uh, uh, timekeeping is actually held elsewhere. Um, that the the hypervisor will do it. It will not, um, and the skew is extremely bad because of the hypervisor's to, um, to clocking VMs um, in and out. So run NTP on every single machine, no matter what it is. Um, use UTC. I don't. This is not a. This is not rocket science. Most people already do this for dealing with when you're dealing with the database time zones. Obviously, only confuse the matter. Uh, if you want extra credit, I tweeted about this last night, look into using TAI-64M. Um it is a time representation that is absolute. It's not tied to uh, the actual rotation of the Earth, as, time sec- as with leap seconds and all that kind of business are. It's got nanosecond precision. And because of it not having leap second issues, which you all are dealing with right now, because we're about to introduce a leap second in a week, um, You won't know that like for instance these two events that were emitted right on june 30th that one looks like it came before the other but it actually came after it because of the leap second that is definitely going to happen in every single one of your logs you will be confused because of that in those logs that looks like these events that should be a b look like b a it's going to happen now lastly on this, before I look at the questions, is durations and intervals. And by this I just mean that if you're emitting anything that is clock relative, emit the actual clock relative value. So if you're going to do some time, if you're going to do uh, uh, time measurements, uh, emit the measurement, not the actual timestamps. And just save yourself the grief of having to calculate it again after the fact. Right? Um, it just makes it everything that much easier. And obviously they're immune to being misreading and they're totally stable because they're two relative values. Um, Oh, yes. Okay, so questions. Um, Let's see here. Simon says, we also add, I think that's thread ID when we run multi-threaded. Absolutely. So uh, I didn't include that, but if you have, if you're doing a lot of multi-threaded operations, um, you want to, that emitting a thread ID can be super useful and I'll actually get into a little bit later on in, in the next slides right now about other things that you could admit that make sense, that make a little more sense than thread ID. Thread ID totally useful though. Um, and let's see Jackie D says uh, for leap seconds Google uses the leap yeah, uh, smear. Yeah, um, smear. I think AWS is going to do the smearing too over the over a day. Basically the smear is that um, for the 24 hour period up to then they will elongate the entire 24 hour period period by a fraction of a second so that the last leap second is actually absorbed throughout the entire day instead of seen at the very end. So um, again for this exact reason that it causes lots of headache. but if you go off and you just use TAI 64, TAI in general, um, you don't have this problem. And then you can always convert to UTC later on. So we're all in, right? Everybody's in. Structure is better than blobs. Uh, You're going to go off and convert all your things. Um, but how do we do that? So let's get into the Ruby-specific stuff that you want to do this actually in Ruby now. Don't worry, Doug, I got you covered. So there's a couple of really easy ways to do this. Uh, Rail, Rails has a, a log rage gem. Um, you can drop it in. It's got really great instructions. Um, and it will convert all of the Rails logs to structured logs, um, including all of the, uh, the you know partials, uh, renderings, all of it. It's great. Um, you can just drop that in, and you can get structured logs just going forward right now. Um, if you're doing a 12-factor app and you're logging the, the output, um, you don't even really even need a gem. In fact, I recommend that you just kind of uh, roll it on your own within your own infrastructure. You just out, just emit JSON to standard out or standard error depending on how you're logging. Um, it's really super easy to integrate. Um, you can have an event, you can have a, a method or two that you know, sets some defaults based off what you're doing. Um, and you can, you can go, it doesn't, this is a, one nice thing about the, this concept is that it doesn't, it doesn't need a lot of infrastructure, you don't have to go off and write, write a, a whole bunch of things in order to do it well. Um, and if you're using the built-in Ruby's logger, that's okay, still just send the, the messages JSON, it's, it's better to have some structure in there than none, and you can use a combination of tools to extract that structure and, and then be able to have pure structured logs um, later on um yeah not exactly ruby but certainly within the typical rails stack uh and i've I've dumped one in there an example is you can change nginx to admit all of its logs in a in json and then you can just be you can correlate them much easier with your ruby logs and it's uh you can see what all your assets were you can see what user requested what assets based off cookie values and um that can be great so that's it's some easy ways to get in there. Now now we're kind of into again the more uh, implementation side of what do I log and there's a couple of things in here that I think are really important that as you're emitting those logs what do I want to include actually in my logs um, as tags or as values depending on if you're me or if you're Phil um, the a- x request ID that comes in from HTTP again this is uh, assuming an HTTP app uh, Heroku generates one by default. You can generate one. X there's a module to generate them. And if you don't have it at all, you can actually just generate it at the top of, you know, as a rack middleware. It's just some re- X request ID. And the idea there is that it's just some unique thing. And you're going to go ahead and include it as inside the where of all the requests. And this will allow you to know all of the events that happen in the context of a single request. And that is huge. Because as you kind of get into more structured logs, and you start adding logging a lot of other times and other places, you want to be able to say, what are all the things that happened for this request during this one single request? And just answering that question um, is enormous, right? Uh, you can also get into things like if you have session IDs, you can include, you include a session ID uh, as well right there. Um, Moving on to not necessarily strictly HTTP related uh, apps, um, a transaction ID. So let's say that you're doing something where you are uh, updating MySQL or Postgres and Redis and you're gonna write a thing into Memcache and you wanna go ahead and include some logs about that those things all occurred. When you do that, generate a random ID before you start doing all that work and then include that random ID on the log messages about the work being done. And that way you can go back easily and say, you know, let me go look at all the log messages that occurred that were grouped together within this, this single transaction. Um, that just makes those logs even usable. Uh, whereas previously you may, you would see you know, like some random memcache miss message and not know what the context for that was. Now you can know that it's actually the context of, oh look, Redis was down and then I missed again and then I got this other thing so you and you could excuse me and you're obviously combining this with the previous ones as, as well you've got the request ID in there as well so now you're able to see a request ID that has multiple transactions that some of them are failing and some of them are not the third one is similar transaction ID but I actually think of it as a separate concept uh, and this is uh, I'm just going to take a super, actually, I'll I'll get to that in a sec. So uh, it's, this is the idea of an operation ID. So when you're writing, uh, you're working with a bunch of services, um, or even not, you, you have some kind of operation that you're doing. And typically, people would see it as the request ID would actually serve this purpose. Um, I like to have a separate one called the operation ID that what I do is before I go off to do something, before I go off to write some records in the database and talk to another service and do this that and the other thing i generate an operation id and i include that in all the logs and i forward it on to any service that i'm going to talk to so that it can log that operation id in there as well and so now you get this ability to say a single operation that is maybe spread throughout a number of different services and maybe even included a background task that was queued up that pops in later on. You can actually correlate them all back together and see all the logs that were for a single operation. And again, it's very easy to do this. You generate a random ID, you pass it around, you forward it on other services, uh, and and now you can easily correlate all those things back together as a a single operation, if you will. Corporation ID. Uh, real quick, Phil says that there's that TAA64N library in Ruby. I We looked at it last night. It has a, it has a uh, really ugly bug that if you start using it now and then you really want to use it again in uh, two weeks after we get another leap second, it's going to be a second off. Uh, it doesn't have any leap second calculation built into it. So uh, that's why I was th- saying like maybe I need to start my own TAA64N Ruby library and actually have it contain a proper time second leap second database so uh yeah oh no it's fine i just i did the exact same thing and i was like i wonder if they can the leap, second pro- leap, leap seconds properly and it doesn't so just uh fyi there uh, but phil gets a gold star for his doing his extra credit so so we're kind of winding up here so You've got all these logs, uh, that's amazing. Congratulations on doing structured logging. Um, be sure to take Friday off because you've earned it. Um, and now it's Tuesday of the next week and you actually use those logs. So how, do, how are you gonna make use of them? All right, so there's a couple of good tools out there uh, that we're gonna go over. Uh, the first one is uh, effectively indispensable when you're doing uh, JSON logs and it is the JQ tool. Uh, it's in Homebrew, it's in Apt, Uh, it is in yum uh, it is in Shabangabang, whatever the latest linux uh, package manager is i'm sure it's all in there Um, and it has a query syntax for parsing and being able to do expressions on json Um, and it is uh, way more powerful than um, i can even show there's an entire you could do an entire presentation hour presentation on all the jq features um, it is. Uh, it's got a whole syntax, a query syntax, so it's it's great. This particular one is just an example of I just wanted to see all of the log, all the entries where you know the request IP was this particular thing. Uh, another common one that people use is the ELK stack, uh, which is an open source stack for you know viewing lo- doing logs. E for Elasticsearch, L for Logstash, K for Kibana. Um, Logstash. Uh, is totally on board with all of the stuff that I have detailed here. Logstash has a format, a log format um, that it has that that if you send it data in its format, um, it will do it fine. Um, and all the rules I've given here are the same rules that Logstash has. Uh, I pause for a second there because I can't remember if they dropped the at sign on timestamp or not, but I'm pretty sure that he did. So it did we will accept random, you know, just JSON and then it will it will log it to Elasticsearch and you'll be able to go back and search and do all that kind of fun stuff on it. Um, tons of teams use this. Um, it's a, a real powerful tool. Uh, there's existing SASs out there that do this. The log entries in Logly uh, will both parse JSON logs. Um, the the service that we're working on at Vectra um, is also logging SAS that parses uh, JSON logs and we're Working on the beta right now, so it'll, it should be out in the next few weeks. If anybody who's out there wants to uh, wants to get on that beta, you can uh, drop me a line, and I'll we'll, we'll discuss it. Um, kind of boring, but also super useful for uh, for dealing with JSON logs is just S3. It's just you know as you go and you download those logs and rather than just delete them off of your servers send them up to s3 um, s3 is incredibly cheap for just keeping the keeping that kind of data around and you very well may need to correlate something you know that maybe happened a couple weeks ago uh, especially if it's some kind of like business audit logs so um, one nice thing that you can also do um, <clears throat> If you're using S3 and you want to keep more different kinds of logs, is you can you can use a MapReduce or a tool or whatever. You can use JQ to process your logs and remove, say, the NGINX logs. And you just want to keep the the business analytics or the business audit logs around. And then you can send those back up to S3 and keep them stored up there. Obviously, S3 could be any object store. Um, just having them and keeping them around um, will do you a favor. You'll be able to answer questions that you normally wouldn't be able to answer because that has to do with log data that is you know potentially a couple weeks old. Uh, if you have a, a large infrastructure, you're rotating your log files you know, a d- every day, you probably only have a couple, a, at most a week's worth of actual logs before you just go ahead and delete them. So keeping them around for an extra couple months uh, for almost no cost. Uh, could be huge if you're trying to correlate something or answer some question about some long term data, some long term uh, analytics that you don't have the data for yet. Uh, so, your logs are your data, and I think uh, it's high time that we all start treating them that way. So, um, that's it, that's the talk. Uh, I have some more sort of gotcha slides at the end here. I've only got, like, four minutes, so I probably won't get to them unless people really want to see them. They're related to, like, don't use UDP and stuff like that. So do I have any other questions?
0: I'm going to go ahead and turn on Q&A mode. Um, You'll see a little pop-up come up. Um, So you can ask a question, and then once you click it, you'll have to enable your microphone, and then you can ask Evan your question. Cool. Or you can just type it in that and I'll say it at him. That's great. So Doug says, logs seem to compare nicely to having backups. There are a number of nice comparisons there.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if you have <clears throat> if you do a lot of, uh, if you really buy in on this concept and you start to do a lot of um, uh, analytics or uh, audits, uh, you can reconstruct your data from your logs. Um, if you were doing stuff like uh, if you log every time a user created it and for some reason you you lost the database, and you don't have all the new users from the last day. You can go and look at your logs and recreate those users again from just from the logs. So, um, and that's <laughs> that is actually how databases work. Uh, most databases keep a you know a write ahead log that will contain all the data that the the operations that would have occurred, and then uh, so you can sort of make your own database that way.
0: All right. Um, the next question is. How do you pass things like operation IDs into, say, Nginx, for example?
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, what you're going to have to do in those particular cases is think about the thing that's behind Nginx rather than Nginx itself. Obviously, if you're passing it, sorry, you're doing a REST API between two Ruby apps, uh, you know, you could just set a header. Um, Just come up with some convention for what your header is. Um, I actually usually like people to use a header that's specific to their org. So you know, like uh, at Living Social, we use like a X-ls header that uh, or prefix on our headers. So you can just pass a header through. Um, you know, you need to do that. Edit your, or change your, uh, your, your REST calls to be able to include that header. Uh, but that's usually pretty easy.
0: Avdi asks, are semantic logs a gateway drug to event sourcing architecture?
1: I, there are so many buzzwords in there I feel like I need another cup of coffee before I can answer that question uh, probably uh, I don't see why not I mean I think that uh, if you start if you really buy in on um, logs, on doing structured blogging um, you start to do everything with them so you start to basically admit everything is events you start to feel like you want to keep a, a, a copy of every operation that occurred and be able to know what happened last week, and you want to be able to regenerate your entire data set from the logs. Um, it's not uncommon for people to kind of or to go to their heads. Um, I wouldn't go that far to start, but um, that certainly is a, an option as uh, you start to get more comfortable.
0: All right, Anthony asks, are there any good techniques or tools for filtering logs in real time?
1: um you know it's funny because that's that's one thing that the SASs try to try to handle um there are there are some tools that i've used um that are separate tools than the log storing that are really just for log tailing um you know there are not great ones to to give you to give you an an honest answer yet cheaply exactly i mean it's um it's a hard answer um the answer is usually i guess do you want the reason that you see you don't see a lot of tools uh, around real-time tailing which is what kind of what we're talking about is the volume when you get the usefulness at volume is very low so if i've got if i'm getting uh you know uh, get a meg per minute a, a meg every five seconds worth of logs and I'm actively filtering them as they come through unless my filter is extremely specific uh, the actual view the thing that I'm actually viewing is not super useful because it's just is scrolling by as a wall of text and and you know if I'm trying to just let it wash over me unless I'm uh, operator in the matrix I don't know how I'm actually using that data so you don't see a lot of tools uh, built around that Time.
0: All right, well, our time's up. Um, we, I, I built a half hour break into the conference between now and the next talk, which is uh, Michelle Totolo uh, talking about APIs. So um, if you want st- to stick around and chat, then uh, feel free to do it. Um, if you want Evan to show his gotchas we can do that for a minute and um, you know just kind of water cooler it or go get another slice of pizza or something and then um, and then we'll come back and hear from Michelle but thanks Evan thank you so much for talking to us. My pleasure do you want
1: to see those gotcha slides people of the internet?
0: People type fear typing furiously okay
1: uh, uh, there a few so go ahead. ahead. Do I, does it matter?
0: Right. What was that?
1: Never mind. Uh, okay, so my gotcha slides were volume. Uh, so as you start to generate those structured logs, one thing that you kind of get into is the structured logs have more data in them than the blobs would, um, almost by by design, really. And so uh, you're going to put a lot more pressure. On your actual disks and on your logging infrastructure to make sure that like you're actually rotating your logs properly and that you're compressing them. Um, when, when you roll this out for the first time, you're going to want to review your rotation, your log rotation frequencies, you know, a few hours after you do it and the next day and make sure that they make sense again. So, you know, maybe you're maybe you were saying, oh, you know, we only need to rotate and delete old logs every day. But now you're generating twice as much, you might accidentally fill up your drive and you need to be deleting and and rotating them every six hours or something like that. So that's something to really watch out for um, as you kind of go forth into the world of of structured logging. Uh, UDP logging, just don't do it. Um, If you really want to log over UDP, just don't send them at all. It's basically the same as sending them in the first place. they they get lost. Uh, they don't represent any kind of meaningful data. You might get one, and you might get not, not get another one, and then you try and figure out how they're not why how could this operation happen without the one before it happening? And you just cause yourself a huge amount of problems doing logs over UDP. Um, it's one of Syslog's biggest missteps, in my opinion. Um, and the the last quick gotcha is uh, Syslog. TCP syslog. Certainly better than UDP, um, but there are problems with s- TCP syslog. <coughs> um, if you're logging across uh, with a, a, you know, a decent latency, so if it's not like to the syslog server that's right there, um, you can have problems related to if the TCP session shuts down, the client will just keep sending logs through, and if the server never gets them, they're lost. You, they get wiped from buffers, and you're you don't have any way to recover them um, and that's just uh that's just because syslog TCP doesn't have any way it doesn't do any kind of acknowledgments about the actual data so it's just a hose that goes one direction and if one side closes closes the hose then anything that was in the hose while you sent it it gets lost so um, just something to keep to watch out for uh, a lot of people will do uh, a syslog, a local syslog server that's also sending them to disk before sending them like to a SAS or to wherever else they're sending them just so that they have another copy as well. Um, that's another another uh, way to do it. So um, I, so that, that, those are my only quick gotchas. Um, so I guess if we have another we have half an hour break, do we have any last questions? Otherwise I will send you off on your merry way.
0: All right, nice. I see some thanks is coming in, so I think we're good. Okay. Uh, thanks again, Evan. Absolutely.
1: Thanks so much, guys.
0: You just created a whole bunch more work. i got to go do all my stuff now for the logging. All right, well, uh, we will be back in 25 minutes uh, to hear from Michelle. Um, so in the meantime, feel free to chat, uh, grab some food. Uh, get comfortable in your chair, whatever you're doing, and uh, we'll be back in, like I said, 25 minutes.